Hey, security peeps. It is Renee Small here on the Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast special edition. We have a fabulous guest, but before I introduce him, I'm going to introduce our co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to the folks. Hey, everyone. Hey, and we have Alan Alfred here who calls himself many, many things, but he's a multiple podcast co-host and host, you know, all kinds of fun stuff on LinkedIn. So, Alan, I am not going to take anything away from you. I want you to introduce yourself and then tell us how you got into the cybersecurity space. All right. So I guess we'll just say veteran CISO multiple times over now. Um, podcast co-host, Defense in Depth podcast. And uh, how did I get my start in InfoSec was uh, years ago in IT operations, I just kind of took an interest in the security specific projects. This is back in the days when we didn't really have specific security roles, but security tools were coming out and cool new technologies were coming out. And, and I was always interested in those and kind of ended up running those projects and eventually it blossomed into a full career. Wow, that's awesome in a short nutshell. Don't, don't want to age yourself, but um, what sort of technology evolutions have you seen through your time? So, yeah, all right. Um, back when I started, firewalls were about it for security. <laughs> IDS, IPS didn't <laughs> exist. Um, CASB didn't exist. DLP didn't exist. Um, you know, we had, uh, I remember when Iron Mail was a brand new tool. Um, just an anti-spam gateway for the email was a brand new tool. Uh, databases didn't have any explicit security beyond what was built in for, you know, accounts and passwords and things. Um, you know, encrypting volumes was still new and novel. Um, so I started I started a while back. What made you start Defense in Depth? What made me start the Defense in Depth podcast? Um, I am rather present on LinkedIn, I guess is the best and politest way to put it. <laughs> I'm all over LinkedIn. And... Um, David Spark and Mike Johnson, who who host the sister podcast, the CISO Security Relationship Series, uh, the CISO Security Relationship Vendor Podcast, Vendor Relationship Podcast. Golly, I can't talk. To you. Um, they they host that podcast. I had an experiment going on on LinkedIn at the time. Uh, they had their podcast relatively new. They were only out for maybe a couple months, and I got on LinkedIn and announced to the vendor community that I wanted to begin opening my door and allowing the vendors to come two hours a week. Uh, it was a very conscious experiment to start learning more about the industry by way of actually leveraging the vendors as a source of knowledge um, rather than pushing them away and, and doing the usual CISO thing of ignoring all vendor inputs. I decided to actually embrace it and treat them as a source of knowledge. And, and the real reason for that, the motivation for that was I had previously been CISO at a security company. And as a CISO at a security company, I gained this knowledge base that I had never had before in my career, didn't even know it was available, didn't know it was a thing. But just from casual conversations in the hallway, um, I knew so much about the entire security industry, not just our niche and the products we made, but even non-competitors and what they were up to. And in a given morning, I could learn something about McAfee and something about Symantec and something about some brand new up and coming startup. And what's this Things Canary product and what does it do? And, you know, all these all these things going on and just learning constantly about things going on in the security industry. And when I left that company, that source of information dried up, right? I had never had it before, and now here I was without it again, but now I knew that I was missing something. So I decided to close that gap and invite the vendors in and see if I couldn't get a steady flow of vendor information sort of to, to fill in for that that stream of knowledge that I was missing. 
And David and Mike heard about my experiment. Here they were doing a podcast specifically about the relationship between CISOs and their vendors and how they can improve these things. And here's this crazy CISO on LinkedIn advertising openly to the vendor community. Come on in two hours a week, bring your bring your story, right? So they saw me and were immediately like, we got to get this guy on our show. He's either crazy or brilliant. Um, I think the vote is still out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I got to be a, a guest on their show. It turned out to be in the early days of the show. It was it was uh, the most popular episode. And, and so I came in as a I think I was a fill in guest for Mike one more time. Um, and then at that point, David and I started talking about, you know, we we've, we've got a chemistry here. Let's come up with another topic and see if we can't launch our own podcast. And so. Uh, CISO Security Vendor Series, they do four or five segments throughout the show. And each one is kind of a different subject matter. And so they don't get to go into it in depth, right? And David and I were talking about the fact that getting into stuff in depth would be really clever. You know, let's come up with a new series where we just pick one topic per show. And believe it or not, the name Defense in Depth, I instantly blew off because I knew for sure that name was already taken. And we spent days tossing around these horrible name suggestions for the podcast. <laughs> um, you know, trying to get that concept of in-depth without actually saying defense in-depth. Mm -hmm. And I had all these metaphors about scuba diving and whatever kind of nonsense <laughs> going on. And finally, Dave was like, why aren't we doing defense in-depth? And I'm like, well, because it's taken, duh. And he went and looked it up and it wasn't. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Didn't I feel stupid? The most obvious name for the show. We we blew it over for days there. But either way, we're we're defense in depth now, and that's exactly it. We go into every topic in depth. That's pretty awesome. How would you advise um, someone coming into the industry to gain a similar experience, um, knowing that you're not in the position of a CISO having vendors flocking to them, but still being able to get that wide breadth of knowledge to yeah. um, make themselves valuable? So when I started, podcasts weren't a thing. Um, and, and I would argue that there's a wealth of them out there now, not just mine. I'm not going to extol my own virtues here. Uh, there's plenty of good ones out there. There's a lot of different podcasts, uh, some of which go as far as an hour plus in length per show. Um, I, I'm certainly glad to write down a, a list of the ones I like, um, but, I, but I think it's pretty easy to get out there and Google, you know, top 10 security podcasts, and you'll see there's a wealth of information out there. I think that's a great source to start with. Uh, some of them are well-produced, some not, but even the ones that aren't well-produced oftentimes have phenomenal content. Um, so I'd say start with podcasting. Um, next up, also not available when I started, are all these awesome security certifications. You know, you can get a CompTIA Security Plus, you can get a CEH, you can get a CISM, a CISSP, an OSCP. There's, there's dozens of those out there, and there's plenty of learning opportunities just from studying those reading materials. Even if you don't plan on going and getting the certification, you can learn so much just from getting those uh, prep books, right? Um, and then the next most important thing is try to learn on the job, right? I think that's really where 90% of the learning comes from, regardless of your approach or how you get your foot in the door is on the job learning. And that clearly begs the question of how do people break in, right? Um, it's interesting to me that we CISOs are constantly talking about the shortage of personnel and how it's tough to find people. And yet at the same time, the folks that are just starting are always talking about how hard it is to break in. And I'm like, okay, we've got, we got this group over here saying there's nobody available and this group over here saying they won't let me in the front door. So clearly there's a gap, right? Um, I, I think the trick is what the CISOs want are people who already have a certain amount of experience, which of course you got to start somewhere. Like how do you, how do you magically have people with experience? I think the CISOs need to step up and start allowing more entry-level positions in. And I think that the entry-level folks need to come up with more and creative and clever ways to get in front of the CISO. Um, uh -huh. and, and, and I would argue that regardless of where you start, if you're starting in school and getting a 
cyber degree of some kind, or if you're a current practitioner in a, some other realm of IT, you know, I, I know a lot of people that start off in the help desk, right? And and they get an interest in security from work in the help desk, and they want to sort of sidle into that career that way. Either either one of these approaches is fine. The key is gather as much experience as you can, document all the experience you have. Um, those certifications, again, are key. The, even the education and training for them and learning, even if you just say, I've read the last eight, you know, in the last eight months, I've read these three books on security. Put that on the resume, like anything and everything that can contribute and show that you've got a security presence of some kind. And then if you're coming in sideways, you know, volunteer. Uh, it's amazing how often the security team is going to be super happy with somebody who's like, look, I got this much actual experience, but I'm here, I'm available, I'm helpful, I'm useful, I'm energetic, I care, and best of all, I'm free. You know, I'll spend an extra five hours a week working on your project, at, you know, at starting at 5 p.m. every day or whatever. Um and I can help and join in. And, and, and if you can get enough of those kinds of experiences working with the security teams, eventually that's real world experience that can also go in your resume. And eventually I think you'll break in that way. And, and I think the CISOs need to really look for those kinds of folks and look for the kind of people that are, that are eager for that first opportunity and start encouraging them and working with them. Because I think, I think there's a gap in the middle we have to close here. That's such great advice. I mean, all of it, but really the volunteer effort, the coming in sideways, because Chris and I got to this Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast specifically because of that. People were transitioning, we were trying to get in and bumping up against that wall. And we hear, you know, that's that's a never ending question. The chicken before the egg. You guys mm -hmm. want experience? How do I get experience when I don't have experience? So doing the volunteer work, doing the um, coming in you know, sideways, getting the certifications, and doing what I consider self-directed projects as well. So, you know, you talked about some of the things that folks can do. Um, you know, I, I usually name Cyberry because it's one of the easiest ones to do. Mm -hmm. um, but getting the free resources that are out there to kind of get more, um, get that hands-on experience without actually being in an organization. Mm -hmm. and, and there's another volunteering piece too that I didn't mention specifically, which which is always available, right? Um, and that is nonprofit organizations, churches, uh, any of those kinds of organizations. If they're big enough, they're going to have some degree of technology. They're going to have maybe a Wi-Fi network and, and an internet connection at a minimum. And if you've gotten good enough at security to tinker with your home firewall and maybe even play with like OpenWRT and experiment some and 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 you know do some tweaking here and there. It's super easy to reach out to those kinds of groups and say, hey, I've got a little bit of talent in this area. You know, I I'm free. Right. Mm -hmm. But you can put it down. You know, it's, um, you know, just just, you know, I just moved here from Austin. I'm up in the Dallas area now, but I was in Austin 30 something years. And I can't tell you how many like art cooperatives, uh, nonprofit groups. There's a group called the Girls Empowerment Network that's all about um, bringing girls into uh, adult careers. There's 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 STEM stuff for kids. There's there's just a million and one little groups, all of whom probably need a little free security help. Um, and again, that can be put on the resume. Do do a project for them. Note it on the resume, right? So I, I actually spoke to a guy recently who he was working. He saw his mom, and she's a senior citizen. He saw her struggling in the security space. And then what he did is he helped her with her security and then worked with all of his mom's friends. So we nice. had this group of like senior citizen ladies that mm -hmm. he helped out and that he was able to put on the resume. Beautiful. So, yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. It's a great foot in the door. And how, um, how would you, how would be the best way from, from the CISO viewpoint for them to 
demonstrate that and create a narrative that shows their value for that sort of exercise. Because I think once they're they're having a first conversation with, with the HR screener, with uh, someone who's uh, that first wall to get past them. Right, to get right. to the CISO to have that conversation. Sure, sure, and I think I think with the entry level positions, honestly, getting to the CISO is going to be a challenge, regardless, right? Like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't talk to every individual contributor who joins my organization. I don't. I've got directors and senior directors reporting to me, and they've got managers reporting to them, and 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 then there's the other folks. So really, the challenge is just how do you get in front of that frontline manager? That's all you have to do for that initial job, getting that initial foot in the door. Don't even worry about the CISO. Don't worry about the VPs. Don't worry about the directors. Just go for that frontline manager, and what you do is you talk to the HR recruiting person and say, hey, look, this is this is entry level. I'm no bones about it. I'm entry level. But if you look at my resume, I've got some skills. I've done some things. I've taken some training. I've read some books. You know, try to have that conversation to be as forward as possible. Just say, get me in front of them and, and we'll talk. You know, I'm negotiable on all kinds of things here. Just get me that first meeting. Right. And and talk to the recruiters directly if you can and have that conversation. Um, I'll speak personally from my experience as a hiring manager. Um, I've never worked at a single place where I was willing to let the recruiters be the primary filter. Uh, and I may be anal retentive. This may be unique to me, but I look yes. at every resume myself, absolutely every resume. And I tell the recruiters, I don't care what it is, shoot it across my desk. And if I see somebody who is demonstrating commitment, who's demonstrating passion, who's demonstrating they got off their butt and did something, uh, like you said, volunteering for the for the senior citizen and ladies community, right? Um, whatever it might be, if they can demonstrate that and put that on their resume, this shows me that it's somebody who cares, who desires, who wants to learn, who's passionate about it, and who's also got the, the discipline to actually do something about it. Heck yeah, I'll bring you on as a junior person, right? And and we'll find a spot for you. Or maybe even you're a floater. Maybe you spend three months in the sock and learn their ways. And then maybe you go play with the guys that do the tools like IDS and CASB and DLP and what, you know, I can take a junior floater and, and get all kinds of value out of them. So that's, that's, that's my guidance there. Do, do you think many organizations have that wiggle room to do the floater idea? Sorry. Probably not. I end up usually with, with maybe one per team, honestly. Um, but, uh, but even then a junior SOC analyst could, could come in the door with the experiences we've described and be successful. So there's, there's entry roles there. Um, and depending on the size of the infrastructure team, even a, even a permanent junior role could be available there in theory. What do you think needs to be done um, with the leadership community? So I know you, you already put it out there that CISOs have to take more action. And I think it even goes above that because the more I talk to the CISOs, your peers, and I, I hear about budgets and I hear about, you know, some of these shrinking security teams. Um, which makes it difficult. It's a it's a it's a fine line and balance that. Like you just said just now, you have about one that you can put on per team. Right. And if you have a sizable team, that's nice. But if you have a team of you know ten people, right, right, right. <laughs> not as big. So what would you what what would some solutions to kind of broadening that funnel to get yeah. more entry level folks in in the space yeah. as a whole? Yeah, I I think it starts at the top of the organization with the most skilled uh, individuals that have been there the longest, right? Um, that's the arena where the CISO has the most direct interaction. Like I said, I don't talk to every individual contributor in my org all the time. You know, I've got folks that, that I, you know, I, I'll meet them once a year for a skip level maybe, but not everybody is is, is going to be on my radar on a regular basis, right? But those higher level senior folks are. And I think that's when the CISO describes we've got this talent gap. 
is because it's harder to find those folks, right? So the whole challenge I think that's on the leaders is quit focusing on hiring from the outside your senior most people and instead look at your middle tier people and put together programs that groom them and build them up and set them up for success and get them to be the next generation of seniors. So if a senior person leaves, you don't go hire from the outside, you, you bump up one of your middle tier people and that opens up a slot in the middle and you can bump up one of your junior people. And it's all about, for me, cross training. And it's all about, for me, investing in the individuals and really truly embracing their capabilities and talents, providing them training, providing them opportunity to cross learn from one another and hooking them up with mentors and, and having this sort of mentor mentee relationship model throughout the organization. If you've got a guy who's an incredibly strong player and, you know, pick whatever it is, let's say he's an infrastructure guy. He runs all the infrastructure tools and he's, he's the alpha architect that all the engineers know, like before we even deploy this new tool, we're going to go consult with him. And he's the guy that knows how it all fits together. And he's the one who will figure out how this new component will drop into our infrastructure structure, you know, that guy, you need to have him mentoring people on a regular basis, probably two or three, even if he's, if he's that senior compared to the rest of the org, you just tell him, you know, 10, 10 hours a year week is going to be spent on the following types of activities. You're going to be doing lunch and learns and brown bags and teaching the rest of the team what you know. You're going to be mentoring, you know, three people. You're going to be, you know, and, 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 and have them sharing their knowledge is outward through the org as they can because at some point that's the guy that leaves right and now this gap he's left behind can be more readily filled and you do the same thing all the way down the organization and this is where i got to that that floater idea i'm a big believer in cross training i'll take people who are already established and good at, at firewalls uh let's say they're part of the network team i'll pull them off the network team and i'll say go work with the application guys for a month you know and 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 go work on the sock for a month and and i'll bounce them around and toss them from place to place. And I'll do this with everybody in the org and have rotations where even the people that are veteran and senior and skilled are having to walk a mile in the other guy's shoes and learn another facet of the operation. It strengthens everybody's individual abilities and skills. It also fosters and strengthens communication across the team. And it also knocks down those walls when you have those kinds of conflicts where, you know, it's like this, this department is complaining about that department, like, oh, those guys don't get it and blah, blah, blah. Well, now they do get it because they've lived it. And so all of that kind of horizontal movement just encourages healthy vertical movement. Oh my goodness! You can I hug you through the screen? That's like <laughs> everything. That's, that's my whole life. So I've said this a zillion times, but I had this amazing CISO, and that's exactly what he did. He brought in people with operations backgrounds. He brought me in. I had an HR. I was the the recruiter that recruited all this the infosec people, and then he was like, "Come, come join my team." Mm -hmm. um, he brought in people from. He brought in administrative assistants. He brought in your hardcore engineers don't like the operations part like he you could see all of these pieces to the puzzle and it was such a dynamic team we're running so you know chris and i always talk about diversity of thought there was so much diversity of thought there were so many things that i was bringing in from an hr side like my i immediately jumped to insider threat and i, I was all over that because i could see from an hr perspective i'm like well you know where the boat right, is right 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 <laughs> You know, so there were so many pieces that nobody else was thinking about. And then, you know, the person that came in from procurement had a, a something, somebody that came in from the audit team, and he was such an awesome person for pulling us all together and 
training everybody up and cross training us all and rotating us around. And it was just such a dynamic team. Yep. And that, that diversity so, of inputs is so key to it too. And this is, you know, one of the questions I always get asked is education, right? Like, like, do you look for the guy with the such and such degree and all that? And, and, and the answer is no, I don't. Um, I, I, I want to mix of, let's say somebody went through and actually did a true cyber degree through their college career. Great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not anti that. I'm not pro that. It's just one way in. Right. Great. So I've got check that box. I got somebody with that background, somebody who comes in from the military, totally different background. Check that box. Somebody who came in with no education at all and literally taught themselves and worked their way up. Awesome. Bring that person in. I like to have that kind of a mixture too. Um, the guy with a bunch of certs, the woman with no certs, uh, the gal who's got a mixture of certs and degree, you know, somebody that wants to get an MBA, like all of that kind of diversity matters as well. I think I think in terms of formal education, certifications, and those kinds of things, I want to see a healthy mix there. I want to see a healthy mix of backgrounds. I want I, I want and 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 all the usual diversity here applies as well, right? There have been studies done. They have proven that a diverse team impacts the bottom line positively. Period. It's been proven from a business perspective. The more diverse your teams, the stronger your bottom line. And and so that diversity needs to extend beyond just gender, race, ethnicity, and all these kinds of things. Like like think about it in terms of backgrounds and lifestyles and is somebody military, is somebody government, is somebody, you know, whatever it might be. Like like get that mix. Get that mix going. And how do you think um, without being putting people into boxes can on the recruiter side of that? to help get those, get that mix in front of the hiring manager. Um, how do you advise your recruiters or your hiring managers to, to look for those things as they're looking for candidates for you? Yeah, at the end of the day, no offense to the industry, right? But your average recruiter is, is essentially a keyword searcher, right? I mean, that's, that's what's yeah. going on, right? 100%. So you have to give them the right keywords. You have to. Um, or you do like I do and say, you know what? Um, anybody who applies, go ahead and shoot it to me. We'll take a look. I have hired some people who at a glance, their resume didn't fit at all what I was looking for. But the more I dug in, the more I realized this is a unique person with a unique background. They're worth bringing in for an interview and they get to the interview and it's like, wow, this is a dynamic and passionate and excited person. We'll make it work. You know, I'm hiring a team of seven people. And originally I thought it was these seven roles. This person was so interesting to me. I'll bring them in and I'll redefine the other six roles to accommodate and, and start building a, a dynamic team on the fly based on the quality of the candidates that happen to be coming through the door. So again, I, I tend to just say, give me all the resumes and I'll figure it out myself. Right. <laughs> um, but if you, yeah. but if you are working with your recruiter, then, then keywords is, is really super important. And, and you have to emphasize, I don't care about degree. I don't care about background. I don't care if they're military or civilian. I don't care if they're government or private sector, like whatever it might be, you know, these are the things I don't care about. I'm just looking for the following kinds of things and walk that recruiter as best you can through what is passion, what is commitment, what is potential. Um, but again, trying to get a recruiter who's not part of the field to get those things, it's, it's, it's some subtle nuances. So I tend to, I tend to just do it myself. Yeah, it, it, it is tough. I mean, being that recruiter who had not had been a tech recruiter, but not been in cybersecurity and coming into the cybersecurity space seven, eight years ago and being completely confused and looking at resumes like, what is, what is all this? I have no idea what any of this stuff means. Um, 
and going and kind of connecting with how I ended up bonding so well and making all of you guys my friends is I went in there and I was just like, listen, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Can somebody break, can you break this down in layman's right. terms for me and tell me what's going on here? Um, but every recruiter doesn't have that capacity or, you know, what have you to get to the point of really understanding. And I think to your point, it really lends on a leader to be able to say, either A, give me all the resumes, or B, you know, you don't have to be so closed because recruiters in the, you know, and I hate to kind of bash our profession a little bit, but we tend to be order takers, you know, like we haven't gotten to the point where, where, you know, a manager says, well, I want this, this, and this, and we don't want to look stupid when we come to you and we bring you a dance major, <laughs> you know, or something right. with an interesting background. And you look at us like, why did you bring me this person when I said I wanted this, this, and this? So right. being that leader to be able to tell them it's okay, bring me these people, you know, and understanding the culture, you know, obviously they have to know too, but being that leader to give them that flexibility and that openness to be able to do that is definitely, um, it's definitely needed and it's rare. Yeah. yeah. Very seldom that that happens in organizations. Yeah, it, it is rare. And, and, and again, the, you know, the breadth of who's actually qualified and capable in my mind is so beyond what the keywords would indicate. The best Linux sysadmin I ever worked with in my entire career was a guy with an anthropology degree, you know? Um, one of the best overall operating system guys that I ever knew uh, had an English lit degree. Mm -hmm. um, one, of, one of the best firewall guys I ever met was pure military, didn't have a degree at all, um, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's like, you just don't know until you read that resume and, and, and see right. a couple of things that are interesting and then bring them in for an interview. You just don't know. And sometimes it's not even from the resume. It's just from talking mm -hmm. to the person and knowing mm -hmm. the individual. Because I'm yeah. a number. It's of amazing speakers. how many good folks are really talented but suck at writing a resume. Yeah. Right? Yeah, resume <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. I say that to leaders all the time. I'm like, this is not a resume writer. Like, this right. is what this is what I know he can bring to the table. And nine times out of ten, if I get him on the phone, then it's wow, this person yeah. is awesome. You know that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and I also want to add that I've been taught as I've talked to CISOs over the past couple of years, some of the best hires to your point have been, um, I think Rebecca Wynn told me one of her best hires, if any of you know Rebecca, um, was from like a receptionist or something that mm -hmm. that person's attention to detail made such an excellent analyst. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And that those transferable skills that you'll see throughout the organization to, you know, some of your earlier points, it's just so key. Yep. So. Yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to my boss about the roles on my team that I'm going to be hiring here. And, uh, you know, the next most critical role I've got for my organization, I, I don't even have a real term for it. It's technically a BA. It's technically, technically an analyst role. But what I really need is somebody who's extraordinarily gifted at working their way through an organization, making relationships fast. Um, figuring out who's actually in charge of what versus whatever the org chart might say and getting to the heart of whatever the thing is and bringing me back the thing I need brought back. And, and I was, I was mulling like, what is the proper job title for this? And I told my boss, what I really need is a business ferret. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so how am I going to look for that? Right. There's no, there's no business ferret resume. There's no business ferret job description. There's, you know, yeah. so I'm going to really be looking to people that have a certain set of, of, business skills and people savvy, uh, who are results oriented, um, who are rapid movers. Like there's, you know, I'm going to have to really sift through and find this role. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to get that on a resume. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you sound like the, when I went over into security, he was like, I put you over here because you know, everybody 
because as a recruiter, you, you it just end up knowing so many people in the organization just because you're like all over the place. And he was like, and you're a driver. Like, I know if I give you this thing, <laughs> you're going to mull somebody over to get it done. <laughs> you yep, know? There so you go. There you go. Like the thing. Yep. And then on the, the candidate side, how would you have them either on their resume or in their speech, um, pitch speech or in their interview, um, highlight those transferable skills, highlight that passion, <laughs> highlight that drive? Yeah. I think there's a section of every resume and every cover letter that's essentially wasted by everybody um, because you say things like results oriented, you know, um, uh, valuable soft skills or, you know, whatever the whatever the generic phrases are that everybody lists to try to prove that they're capable and competent of doing the basics in an office environment. Right. I think if you can cut that chunk out of your resume and replace it with more tangible and concrete things that really do emphasize what you're good at. Right. Um, you know, saying something more along the lines of I'm the driver who, um, you know, I'm, I'm the driver who gets things actually done, you know, and here's an example, right? Um, getting more concrete and getting more specific and getting more into what really does make you unique and staying away from that filler and that fluff that every resume has. Yeah. Somebody made a comment here that said that you select few, uh, uh, leaders that gives opportunity to people who don't have five to seven years experience. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that level of experience is required for a lot of the roles on the team. Um, I don't, I think there's plenty of roles that less than five to seven is totally viable. In fact, in fact, sometimes zero is viable. Um, but again, it's back to passion and drive and, and commitment and, and can you demonstrate those things in the interview? Yeah. Plus the industry's um, changing so rapidly. There's new skill sets that are needed for the different aspects of the industry. If you're in five to seven years, you might be dug into your specific skill set and you don't want to go outside of that. So having that new malleable analyst that will go out and have the new master the new areas is always helpful. And to add yeah. some, some stuff Alan talked about within the resume, also the LinkedIn profile. Like I, always tout my fabulous co-host here, Chris, because he was my go-to person to figure out where the podcast, where all the cybersecurity podcasts were. And so being that go-to person on LinkedIn too, as much of us, as much as we all are on LinkedIn, um, as a newbie in the field, kind of owning, taking a space and owning it and mm -hmm. having that information continue to, to show up in your LinkedIn profile is also another way yeah. um, to be an addition to your resume. Because LinkedIn yeah, is like Yeah, absolutely. And and what you guys are doing with this podcast, I think, is phenomenal. Because I, you know, the further I get in my career, the more I feel like I have to share and give back. Um, but you don't have to be far along in your career to have something to give and share back, right? Uh, to share and give back, you can you can be the person who just broke in last year, and and you're you're still in your first real year of real experience, and you can turn around to the folks trying to break in and say, hey, here's what I learned, what I've done, here's what I did, here's what worked for me. At any stage in your career, you can be giving back to the community. I don't I don't care how far along you are or aren't, you can always be giving back to the community. And so um, I, I think it's key and critical to do that and and to show that because back to that concept of passion and drive and and, and presence and, and people seeing who and what you are anything you can think of to give back as soon as you've got something you've got something you can give back and do that and show that off i mean don't don't you know don't do it for the sake of showing it off do it for its own sake right do it do it to truly give back but mm -hmm. there's benefit to be had from doing that and, and showing that hey i do this too right 
for sure. Definitely, definitely. Um, we're approaching the bottom of the half hour, and we really have to say that we appreciate your time. Um, the last question I typically ask our guests is if you had one piece of sage advice uh, to offer someone breaking into the industry, what would that be? One piece of sage advice. Um, don't be fooled into thinking you have to become tools bound. In other words, um, you know, last year, you know, whatever tool set you were working on is probably not the exact same tool set you're working on this year. And three years from now, some of those tools may not even be around anymore. And there may be brand new tools that didn't exist. So don't worry about mastering a specific tool. Worry about mastering mastering of tools, right? Learn how to learn, <laughs> learn how to document your learning, learn how to share your learning, learn how to cross train with your learning, learn how to onboard and ingest new information. And when you walk in the door, don't brag about, I know Cisco and I know Zscaler and I know, you know, whatever fill in the blank product, Symantec and McAfee and CrowdStrike and blah, blah, blah. Don't go bragging about what you know, brag about how you didn't used to know it. And now you know it. And you're already working on knowing this other thing too, right? Focus on the learning itself, not what you learned. Um, I think that's a more important first step than than coming in the door saying I'm an absolute expert at this one thing, right? Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Well, thank you so much, Alan. Like I said, we really, really appreciate you. Um, I know this community is going to love hearing directly from CISOs. We hear all the time. They always are like trying to get in front of the CISOs. So hearing directly from you and hearing about what um, you look for in candidates in the process is is fantastic. So thank you again. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.